Hi, everybody. Welcome to the September 25th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get started. The passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg last week changed the focus of Colorado's U.S. Senate race. Senator Cory Gardner announced this week that he supports moving forward with the nomination and hearings on the new justice before the election, conflicting with his opinion on the same idea in 2016. Patty Calhoun for Westward. I don't think uh, uh, Cory Gardner's reversal of his opinion in 2016 was a shock to anybody. But it seems to me that this thrust the spotlight right on him, right at the point where he was getting some momentum. He, to, to beat Hickenlooper, he's got a thread of very similar needle than he did in 2014. But now he's got a spotlight right back on him that I don't know is an advantage. What do you think? Well, we have weeks to go where there will be many, many more spotlights being shown. That hypocrisy from a politician... It was shocking. I personally was incredibly shocked. Let's remember also, four years ago, we were talking about Merrick Garland. We were not talking about the Republican president nominating someone. We were talking about a nominee who was going to be almost the polar opposite of anyone a Republican wanted. What I would love to hear in the conversation, no surprise that people are running to their corners on this, I would love to have someone really say, I'm going to wait and find out who the nominee is. I would love to see a qualified nominee, say, like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who came through with almost a complete majority of the Senate. I mean, she had the majority, almost every single senator. When you see someone who is as talented and as wise and as graceful, ultimately, through all of politics as Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you would hope that no matter who nominated a justice like that, no matter what the justice's politics looked like, that they would be approved. So I'm glad Colorado has really stepped up and celebrated her history. Colorado's having a whole series of events starting on Saturday, uh, Sunday, including a mural painted of Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, her big court case in 72 was here where she defended a man who was a caretaker for his mother. And she went up on the basis of his sex, fought the IRS, that he should get the exemption. So our other Colorado um, connection to Ruth Bader Ginsburg is Phil Weiser, the current attorney general, was her clerk. So she, anyone who has her kind of credentials and her kind of character, you would hope no matter political party gets, gets accepted. Michael Fields joins us, Executive Director at Colorado State Rising Action. I may have screwed up the words there, uh, Michael, I apologize. But, um, Michael, um, there's a lot to the, the history and legacy uh, with uh, somebody like Justice Ginsburg, and there's been a lot of sources for that, so I've been digging into the local things. And politically, Cory Gardner's in a situation where if he's going to thread this needle and pull off a win of Hickenlooper, he needs the ticket splitters. He needs folks who might be voting for Biden, but also vote for a Republican senator and himself. I don't know if this focus helps or hinders that effort. What do you think? Um, I think it probably does both, right? That you have on both sides people that are very passionate about the, the Supreme Court, um, and rightfully so. They make a lot of close decisions. Uh, they have a lot of authority. Um, there's no doubt that Ruth Gader, Bader Ginsburg will be missed. has a, you know, a long legacy. You think about it, she was only the second Supreme Court justice that was a, a woman. Now we have four, but it looks like another one will be added. But I think this, these 
fights don't happen in a vacuum. I mean, you go back to uh, the Bork nomination, the Clarence Thomas one, what happened to Merrick Garland, uh, Kavanaugh, I mean, even Samuel Alito's wife went out of the, the room crying during the hearing, and I think we're going to have another really tough hearing on whichever woman that, that Trump picks. But I think for, for Cory Gardner, um, you know, I think it reaffirmed to conservatives that he, um, you know, w- takes this very seriously, that he wants to get this done, and it's an important thing that the Supreme Court, uh, and I think on the liberal side, you know, they're, they're going to be upset and, and, and saying the same things they've been saying. But I think it does show that there's too much power in the Supreme Court. Originally, it wasn't meant to be this big of a political issue. Um, and I hope that, you know, that when you, when you look in the future that uh, these justices abide by the Constitution, they let uh, legislators, uh, you know, pick and choose the laws, and, and they call the balls and strikes. And so I think we'll see an interesting nomination, nomination fight. And I don't think it really impacts the, the Senate race or even the presidential race all that much. Eric Sonnen, political analyst and a columnist with Colorado Politics. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of an election season. Uh, we just talked about before we roll tape that uh, ballots are two weeks away, probably when at least the beginning of the confirmation hearings, knowing the kind of light speed this is probably going to do if, if there's going to be someone officially confirmed before the election, right smack dab in the middle of ballots landing. So the, uh, the average Colorado is going to see headlines about Gardner's point about this particular uh, 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 nominee uh, and their ballot arriving right around the same time. A good thing or a bad thing for Cory Gardner? On net, it's a bad thing for Cory Gardner. He was handed, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, Cory Gardner was effectively handed a, a grenade, and that grenade was going to blow up in his hand no matter which uh, set of cards he played. Cory Gardner, being Cory Gardner, predictably played the party loyalty, all in with Donald Trump, whatever the president wants, set of cards. That's no surprise. That's who Cory Gardner is. That's who he's been over the last several years. Uh, this whole thing is a textbook case of situational ethics. Uh, your ethics in this matter depend on what is to your partisan advantage, which is to say really no ethics at all. Let me, Dominic, give you just quickly two sets of numbers. One is now when Antonin, when Justice Antonin Scalia passed away in two, early 2016, that was 269 days in advance of that election. When Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, that is 46 days ahead of that election. But somehow 269 days was not enough time, but 46 days is sufficient time. Second set of numbers, this is from an ABC News poll just out uh, that shows nationally 57 to 38%, 57% of the country thinks this ought to wait and the nomination ought to be made by the next president and confirmed by the next Senate. If the national numbers are 57 to 38, they're at least that intense in Colorado. Cory Gardner was up against it anyway. I think Cory Gardner was already in the toaster before this happened. Uh, I think he now probably is toast and he was toast no matter how he played his cards. So he played his cards as the loyal uh, lapdog Republican. Natasha Gardner, freelance journalist. Uh, you know, you look at Colorado, it's always been dominated results-wise by swing voters uh, being uh, that unaffiliated voters are the majority uh, uh, of all the registered voters in Colorado, more Democrats, more than Republicans. Um, in an election like this, so many people have already decided. It's that the undecided voters are, are there's about 12 of them right now, I would imagine. Uh, does this sway them one way or the other? Is this a big deal or does it just energize both bases? 
Well, I definitely want to meet those last 12 undecided voters and, and quiz them on that very question. You know, before before I dig into this this topic, I just want to take a moment to to commemorate, just to, to memorialize a woman who was so impactful. You know, Patty spoke to some of her connections in Colorado, but it goes so much deeper than that. Just the inspiration that she was for for individuals throughout this country to present a, an alternative option, a, an ability to not only break glass ceilings, but to chart your own path and really change the world around you. So that influence alone, regardless of what happens in this political sphere, will be felt for generations. And we all owe her a um, much gratitude for that. Specifically in Colorado, when I see these these political back and forth, I can't help but think about playing a, a board game with a four-year-old. You know, and eventually when they start to make all, all the rules, at first it's, it's maybe endearing or, or interesting or you want to play along, but at some point you just have to walk away from the, the, the game of Candyland or, or Battleship and move on to something else. Um, unfortunately, both, both parties do this, and we've seen that throughout history. What's interesting in this case is I think in Colorado for the that does or so un, undecided voters that still remain, but just for voters in general, the question with Cory Gardner is, was there an evolution of thought here? Did he have something happen that made him sort of justify the, the difference between 2016 and 2020? I haven't heard from him yet an explanation beyond that to, to sort of put that out there. And I think he, he probably needs to do that if he wants to help uh, voters understand why the change of heart. And if he can't do that, I think that those undecided voters are going to, you know, maybe be that adult at that, that, that board game with the kids saying, wait, why do you keep breaking the rules? I absolutely adore that metaphor. Uh, having played Candyland and various other board games with my nephews, uh, especially at four years old, I've been accustomed to those different rules. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. Well done, Natasha. Last week, Aurora officials announced felony charges against six demonstrators stemming from events earlier this summer. While no criminal charges will be filed against the Jeep driver, Jeep driver who sped through a crowd of protesters during one of the marches. Meanwhile, a rally for Breonna Taylor in Denver this weekend ended with a protester that was hit by a car. Now, the first thing I would, uh, just before we get into questions with, with you, Michael, is getting into this topic, it was illuminating for me to see how many details there are. It's not a Jeep driver that was blazing through and trying to necessarily hit anybody, because if you look at George Brockler's comments, that's why there's no charges here. You look at the different charges with the protesters and even what happened with the, the driver that was a part of the Breonna Taylor protest, there are a lot of details here. Michael, I go to you first in this one. I, I fear a lot of those details get lost. If you really dig into read into it, you see where some of these decisions come down. If you read it as a bumper sticker, it's easy to, to create a whole different kind of opinion. Do you think eventually folks will understand and get, gather the details about what's going on here? I hope so, because that is very important in this process, given that our legal system uh, is dependent on individual actions and if they're legal or not. And I think this is where you have to take things case by case while still having a broader discussion about systemic problems or policy problems. Uh, but when you're talking about uh, holding somebody accountable for breaking the law, it is fact-specific. Um, and if you look at these different circumstances, I thought D.A. Brockler did a really good job of putting out the case. This is what, you know, all the video that we have. Uh, we interviewed 30 people. He answered every question from the reporters and went through the story and said, look, this was somebody who got caught in a situation. They weren't driving there to go uh, hurt people in, in the protest. They, uh, you know, went through an area, ended up on, on these protesters, um, and then scary things started happening. They started getting thrown stuff at them. Somebody shot at them, and they take off. And so 
I think that is it's very important to look at that. It's also important, and both D.A. Brockler and D.A. Young, Democrat in, in Adams County, are looking at what's happening during these, these protests and saying when it turns into riot, when it turns into uh, illegal behavior, whether that's kidnapping or theft or anything else, we still are going to hold people accountable. And so I think that's what's going on. I think people across the, the country, and especially here in Denver, where there are protests, have to be aware of their surroundings, what's going on, both as protesters and as individuals driving. So we'll see. I, I think it's, it's a good discussion to have in general, but when you're holding somebody accountable, it has to be fact-specific. It has to be, did they have intent to do these things? And, um, you know, and I think the, the DAs are doing a good job trying to sift through that. Eric, there's a whole lot of legal details here, but then it also comes down to, uh, I think, an important and growing social moment in, in our history, both as a nation and right here in Colorado. Uh, how do the particular headlines that we're seeing this week uh, affect a conversation in Colorado moving forward? Well, I suspect they just continue to drive everyone to their respective corners. So whatever corner you were in on these protests, you're probably even more intensely there a week later. There is a juxtaposition here. Uh, the, the lack of charges against the driver out in Aurora on I-225 uh, and even the Denver driver down on Lincoln, Avenue, Lincoln Street uh, aren't in isolation. It's a juxtaposition to the six uh, – uh, people, including a number of them still currently behind bars who were arrested for inciting riots or whatever. These were protest leaders. Again, I'm not privy to all the facts. There is something called prosecutorial discretion. It's what prosecutors do on a daily basis is exercise discretion of what cases to take forward and what cases to dismiss. Uh, and uh, again, I, I, the, these drivers, I can understand a panic reaction in some cases under the circumstance, an unthinking, just completely reflexive panic reaction. But it is in juxtaposition with these other charges against people who participated in the protests, who led the protests. And if they did go too far and actually incite more than protesting and actual rioting, then they should be held accountable. Lastly, quickly, the real story to me, the real head scratcher to me is what went on in Louisville, Kentucky this week uh, with the lack of any charges, one charge against one officer. But in effect, and this is in the Breonna Taylor case, in effect, he was charged for having a shots go awry and not shooting her and, and, and endangering people in adjoining apartments. But the lack, I mean, this is a woman who did absolutely nothing wrong and yet paid with her life. And there's still no police accountability. Natasha, from what we're seeing in Colorado, are officials so far uh, balancing protecting the First Amendment rights of citizens and also the safety of our communities? At times, yes, and at, at times, no. And I think that that is a tricky line that they will continue to walk. They've done it in the past, and they're going to need to keep doing it because I think when when things began um, in earnest this summer, when we, uh, immediately after George, George Floyd's um, murder, there was so much questions of how long this would be sustained. And I think from the very early days in my gut, I, I knew it wouldn't go away quickly. And I think we're seeing this now. And and importantly, historians could do this better than I can, but the, 
this the civil mo the the social moment that we're in right now this this question of of America's future is something that goes back for generations and certainly questions about police brutality certainly questions about how the legal system works um, right now everyone's getting a master class or you know a first year of law school introduction into how prosecution happens and how charges are made and that um, is is something that's going to continue so I, I don't envy prosecutors right now for having to walk that line, but they've also chosen to be in a profession where they walk that line. So I hope that as they make these decisions, they're paying close attention to their constituents. Um, and that as, as community members, that we're looking at the laws that determine these charges. And, and if we need to make adjustments, we make the steps to make those things happen. Patty, how do you think officials are doing so far in, in that fine line that Natasha, I think, uh, put out well of here are protesters uh, exercising a guaranteed First Amendment right. Here are individuals that are inciting a riot and committing a crime and in, in separating that. How are we doing in Denver and Aurora so far? Well, I would say Aurora needs to go back to traffic school first. It's not just that the driver of the Jeep, hello, he was at a Jeep, I-225, you see a protest, maybe you turn around, maybe you go over the median, um, you get out of the way. That's a lesson we all should learn. Don't drive into a protest if you can avoid it. But let's not forget that in Aurora, Brockler also couldn't find a way to charge the cop who passed out drunk in the middle of the street, as well as other people. No charges for the people who let him pass out in the middle of the street and let him go home. So there's some real uh, distinguishing characteristics about what's going on in Aurora, in Aurora, which is they managed to charge six protesters, including Terrence Roberts, but other people escaped uh, scot-free. In Denver, there have been four protests that have had drivers go into them. In Denver, two of them have been charged. And we'll wait and see what happens with Lincoln Street. But in the meantime, everyone, don't drive into a protest. You're all driving SUVs. Go up on the curb and get out of there. COVID outbreaks at CU are driving a spike in overall Colorado cases as Governor Polis warned of a third wave this week. Boulder County health officials issued a ban on gatherings of any size for people of 18 to 22 years old and issued stay-at-home orders. Erica, we go to you first in this one. It seems to me that Boulder County health officials just grounded all the students at CU. How do you look at it? That's exactly what happened, Dominic. Uh, again, we get to go to Boulder as that paragon of social responsibility in the state of Colorado. Who knew that young people or people of any age gathering in close proximity to each other in large crowds spread this disease? What a, what a, what a news flash that is. Uh, they've, uh, you know, grounded, I guess, 30 is 30 some odd, uh, 36 fraternity sorority houses uh, around the CU campus. Uh, we just got an announcement that the Pac-12 football season is going to ensue, I guess, at the end of October, 1st of November. But now I'm told that the CU football team won't be practicing because of these restrictions for the next couple of weeks. Uh we have to take this seriously. Young people, I know young people are driven to get together, to party, to socialize, but these are also smart young people at the flagship institution of the University of Colorado, and they should know better. Natasha, did colleges go to in-person learning too soon? That is more than a million dollar question probably at this point. What I think is, is interesting, I've said this on the show before, I, I checked the case numbers 
so frequently throughout the day um, and spend a lot of time obsessing over. The reports are coming out that it's maybe like one in 29 students at CU are um, testing positive right now, which is just a shocking number. Except if you look at the fact that that's nowhere near herd immunity. And I think that that maybe highlights the difficult position that the state of Colorado, that the entire country, that the entire world are in right now, is that we're in the middle of a pandemic that is not going away anytime soon. And as someone who also compulsively checks the calendar, I'm looking forward to what's happening in the fall and as we hit into our major holiday season and just sort of looking at those looming dates of Halloween, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, the December end of the year, as much as all of us want 2020 to be done, um, not looking forward to those parties. So I think this is maybe a moment to to look at how we um, address the rest of 2020. And there might be some cautionary tales that we can pull out of what's happening right now at um, University of Colorado and, and, and any of the universities in the state right now. And for lastly, just of course, I hope that anyone who is sick right now is doing okay and has a speedy recovery. Uh, Patty, did officials make the right call in essentially grounding the students at CU? Well, they've got to stop it somehow. And it doesn't make sense at this point to send the students back home because they will infect other people. What we have to remember here, besides the fact that most people between 18 and 21 feel immune to almost everything, this is not like an STD that you're passing around among friends. I mean, COVID, even though you're a, you know, younger people are not going to be, their health won't be as compromised if they're positive. They're not passing it around with their friends, as I said, like an STD. They're passing it to their teacher or their mother, who are they're unlikely to infect with an STD. There is a reason for them to be grounded right now. We've got to get this under control because it's the rest of the population that's going to suffer. Michael, good luck fi- uh, following that. Uh, do your best. Uh, these are your future fellow alumni. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough circumstance for for leaders in anything. You're talking about schools, CUs, obviously dealing with this problem now. As uh, as was pointed out earlier, you know, the same week that the Pac-12 announces that football is coming back, CU shutting down their campus. Uh, I wasn't the best law student, but I don't think targeting 18 to 22 year olds uh, is going to be constitutional. I think uh, the school has a say in you know what they are allowed in terms of classes and, and on campus, et cetera. But I don't think that um, you know a, a blanket 18 to 20 22-year-olds can't gather is going to work. But um, I think people need to be smart. Like, you know, this is still spreading. Um, We're waiting for the vaccine. Um, You know, social distancing is important. Masks are important. Um, But, you know, this is is hard because it has to do with the economy. It has to do with schooling, everything else. And, you know, I don't envy the position that a lot of these people are in having to make these tough decisions. Let's get a very quick take on this last one. Airport officials informed Denver City Council this week that in order to come in anywhere near the proposed budget, some of the planned Great Hall expansion project at DIA will need to be curtailed. Much of the remaining work is in the new proposed new security screening areas on the top floor. Natasha, your quick take on this one. I can't imagine you're shocked. No, not shocked. Um, but we can come up with plenty of names for what the Great Hall should be. The not-so-great hall, the DIY hall, because we won't have money to do anything else. The just-a-little-different Great Hall. I mean, there's plenty of plenty of things on. This is obviously the remodeling project gone completely wrong. Now, DIA has a great history of having sort of plans go uh, go wrong and coming up with something wonderful, which is how we ended up with Curtis Pentress's wonderful tented um, canopy, which you can see from such a far distance. I'm not sure that's going to happen in this case. 
Patty, you've been following the story forever. Your quick take. Well, unfortunately, we do have a name for it. It's going to be the Great Mall because the new shopping areas are still going in. We're just not going to get the new security, which was really supposedly the point of this. Um, it's going to be tough for years to come. Uh, Michael, your thoughts on uh, the growing, developing money pit at DIA? Well, it's not surprising, and it's kind of a joke overall, but I hope people are held accountable for this. I mean, city council's in charge. Uh, the people at DIA are dealing with this, and so I think accountability is going to be important. It's so much money that we're talking about. Eric, are we going to have more Sbarros and security checks at DIA in the future? Exactly. Uh, ditto to Patty's comment, ditto to Michael as to accountability. This thing was flawed in its conception. Witness Patty's comment about how we're going to get them all, but not the other improvements. And it is more than flawed in its execution and management. It is gross mismanagement. Time to do our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. There are many Coloradans, we don't know quite how many, who have been convicted of possessing an amount of marijuana that is now legal, under two ounces for medical marijuana patients, under one for regular people. Uh, two days from now, Governor Jared Polis will be able to do a mass expungement of their convictions. We haven't heard a word about how and when this is going to happen, but now is the time to let these people go out and get jobs, get this off their record. Michael. Uh, at a protest this week, Denver School Board member Tay Anderson uh, said that all cops were corrupt, uh, and he called them a name that I can't repeat on this show, and I just think that that sets a really bad example for the DPS students and staff uh, that he helps oversee. Eric, we go to you. There's a tradition in this country. It's the hallmark of this country. It's called the peaceful transition of power between presidents, particularly if an incumbent president is defeated. Donald Trump this week went out of his way not to commit himself to such a transition, to even call it into question. We are heading into a very frightening, scary period, not between now and the election, but between the election in the aftermath of the election, between it and January 20th. And uh, we need to maintain some degree of cohesion. Reality shows always have a good cliffhanger, Eric. Uh, Natasha, we go to you next. I'm going to join Eric on on that note. The, the thought that a peaceful transition is negotiable is, is not not a thing. It just can't be a thing in in America today. And I hope that people don't entertain the the concept. Time to say something nice about somebody rather quickly, Patty. While other Coloradans are going for the gold to see the leaves turn, many others are going for green chili, and there is no better place than El Taco de Mexico, an American classic being honored tonight by the James Beard Foundation. Here, here. Michael. Uh, last year, the governor put together a behavioral health task force, uh, which put out some uh, recommendations this week on improving our mental health system. So I would encourage people uh, to check that out. It's an important issue for our state. Eric. Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. I've sometimes been critical of her as for a little too much self-promotion, but she is running a solid process here in this election. It's under a microscope. Colorado has paved the way for vote by mail. And Jenna Griswold is doing an honorable and, and very competent job of administering it. Natasha, we come to you. In a world dominated by news about elections and about the, the pandemic, I was really, really pleased this week to see Westward's story on murals in Denver. It's expansive. It gives a wonderful history. It brings the story up to date and I think um, leaves a lot of uh, moments for you to think about the future of arts and culture in the city of Denver. So kudos to Westward and um, the writer Kyle Harris. Here, here.
And I'd like to encourage you to all join us for next next week for Colorado Decides as we take a look at the proposal to cut the state tax rate and feature debate between the candidates who want to replace George Brockler as the next district attorney in the 18th district. And if you've missed any of our debates on the ballot issues, including our friend Michael Fields, be sure to check them out at pbs12.org. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thank you.